Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Hello and welcome to SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang, and it's a pleasure to welcome you to our special programming celebrating the holiday, honoring the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm really honored you're here. It's a day that means a lot to me. I grew up with a father who worshipped Martin Luther King, had been to hear him speak. There were pictures of Dr. King on the wall growing up, and when they tried to make his birthday a federal holiday, I remember the battles in Congress. I remember how Ronald Reagan openly said he didn't want to do it and vetoed it. And the Democrats eventually were able to override his veto, and Reagan was forced to make the day a federal holiday. Reagan, of course, was someone that King had campaigned against. I mean, Reagan made a segregationist chief judge of the Supreme Court. One of the things that matters to me a lot is that we remember Dr. King as a Christian figure. Yes, as an activist. Yes, as a civil rights figure. But we can't reduce him to a marble statue because his message and his ministry are both intertwined and they're both immediate. King famously said, nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit. You not only refuse to shoot the man, but you refuse to hate him. Now, was he the perfect Christian in his personal life? Not at all. And that's okay. I mean, King didn't go around criticizing adulterers. He wasn't a hypocrite. And Jesus had way more condemnation for hypocrites than sinners. But in his activism and his ministry and the things he fought for, he shows what happens when you put someone in charge who actually follows the Jesus part of that book. So many pretend to follow. And that's why even in 2024, Martin Luther King Jr. is the antidote for Christian nationalism, constant champion of the things Jesus actually talked about, anti-violence, anti-racism, fighting for the poor, pro-labor rights. Dr. King received and accepted the Margaret Sanger Award, and I have no doubt if he were here with us, he would support, as a Christian, a woman's right to self-determination. And not to get too lofty about it, but I think you can see a lot of parallels in the story of Jesus, another famous brown-skinned activist who had to be done away with. And the story of Martin Luther King. In the Bible, Jesus shows up on Palm Sunday and everyone's cheering him. And by Thursday, he's arrested. His friends sell him out. They deny they know him. The crowd turns on him. And by Friday, they kill him. 
Dr. King was rejected by so many people in the end of his life. Democrats were mad. They felt he'd abandoned LBJ after civil rights because King was attacking him on the slaughter in Vietnam. A lot of civil rights leaders considered his ideas passe or ineffective. Check out the documentary King in the Wilderness. Both stories, Jesus and King, show up and receive acclaim and perform virtual miracles. And then rejection, humiliation, and murder. And then not forgotten. After they die, their teachings and their activism and their good works live on, and the legend grows, and they're acclaimed and worshipped, and their birthdays become holidays, and everybody forgets the actual radical revolutionary holy man who started it all, came, inspired, scared the establishment, and had to be done away with. Not here. It's an honor to have you with us. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. We talk about not only the legal issues of the day, but we also talk about the need to reform ethics in our government. Here's one example, the oath of office. You know the one. I do solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Let's add 22 words to that oath. Quote, And I will promptly report any instances of crime and or corruption by government officials and employees of which I become aware. Friends, our democracy is worth fighting for. Join us in this fight. Because justice matters. Look for Justice Matters wherever you ordinarily find your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm John Fugelsang. So two years before his death, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King famously said, we are saying that something is wrong with capitalism. There must be a better distribution of wealth in this country for all of God's children. And maybe America must move toward democratic socialism. Martin Luther King's activism was inseparable from his Christian faith, sort of like Jesus. Both men challenged authority. Both men preached nonviolence. And both got killed for challenging the status quo with fierce directness and love. And for many, their movements have both been reduced to a few general broad strokes. But both of their words still have the power to horrify the establishment. And that's why the greatest danger is that both Dr. King and Jesus could be reduced to marble statues, worship objects to blunt the immediacy of their ministries. 
I am so thrilled to welcome a very special guest for this holiday. Dr. Obrey Hendricks is one of the foremost commentators on the intersection of religion and politics in America. He is a distinguished senior fellow at the Democracy Collaborative in D.C. He's been an affiliated scholar at the Center for American Progress. He is the most widely read and perhaps the most influential African-American biblical scholar writing today. His essential book, Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals Are Destroying Our Nation and Our Faith, is one of the greatest books about America and Christianity that I have ever read. You may have seen Dr. Hendricks on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, the Discovery Channel, PBS, or BBC. It is a pleasure and an honor to welcome Dr. Obrey Hendricks to SiriusXM. Hello, sir. Yes, sir. So good to be here with you. I'm a fan of yours and your incisive intellect and your and your courageous boldness in this evil hour. So well, glad to be here. That means a lot to me, sir, uh, coming from you, because you are someone who has produced so many masterful dissections about how right-wing American Christianity got that way. And I love your new book, and I love the way that you call on your fellow uh, Christians to rise up against what much of contemporary Christianity has become. In the U.S., the social justice tradition of Jesus and Dr. King as you know, has been almost totally overshadowed, especially in our media culture, by this right-wing evangelicalism. And I'm curious, why do you think that is? Why do you think that the Confederate version of Christianity has caught on more popular with 21st century media than the biblical version of what Jesus talked about? Yeah, well, as, as you know, and you've said so eloquently uh, um, time and time again, that this Christianity today is essentially, um, the religious discourse in America today is ideological, right? It's about interests. Yeah. And so um, what we're talking about is, is, is ideological, is ideological Christians who have um, all but deified, um, they've sacralized their own interests uh, as a religion, you see? And so, the radicality of Jesus uh, of Jesus' message about looking out for for one another and uh, being anti-exploitive and all of that that doesn't serve their interests, <laughs> and so they've constructed a uh, a, a Jesus, a mean-spirited or or a toothless Jesus, uh, you know, whichever one serves their purpose most, and that's what they promulgate, um, and they're winning the the discursive battle in America. They're you know. And I've, I've been looking at, at uh, Twitter, well, X, uh, these last few days. My God, man, isn't, isn't it terrible? I mean, they're everywhere. But the problem is we, on the progressive side, we're not offering enough countering. I mean, we, we need 100 of you on the air. And we, all, and we also need politicians, and we need Biden and all those people, you know, yeah. to step up and, uh, and push back on this, this, this real evil distortion of Christianity. Yeah, but anyway. let, me, let me quote you from your book, because you nail it, doctor. You write in the book, a travesty. That's how I would characterize Christianity in America today. A travesty, a brutal sham, a tragic charade, a cynical deceit. Why? Because the loudest voices in American Christianity today, those of right-wing evangelicals, shamelessly spew a putrid stew of religious intolerance and political venom that is poisoning our society, making a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and I, I couldn't agree more, Doctor, and I've always felt that the unsung villain here is the American corporate media machine. 
which for me growing up, I was presented a binary choice. You were either a right-wing Christian who was opposing abortion rights, or you were an atheist. And those were the only yeah. choices the media ever presented us. I happen to think that the majority of people of faith feel the way you did, feel the way Dr. King did, and actually prefer the teachings of Jesus more to the teachings of Donald Trump in drag. Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that uh, American Christians are so biblically illiterate that they don't really know any better. I mean, what, what so many folk know is what they hear from the right wing, you know, hegemonic machine. Let, let, let me give you a quick example. I had a beloved aunt. Um, uh, she's gone now. But I uh, came to her one day. I had written the annotated commentary on one of the editions on, on the Gospel of John and one of the editions of the uh, Oxford Annotated Bible. And I came to her, um, even though I was grown, I, you know, I was still her a child of her, and I came there looking for some approbation and said, you know, I, I, I wrote this in the Bible, and my family's very religious. I, I, I wrote this annotated uh, a commentary, um, and I just wanted to share with you. She said, oh, well, that's nice, but I like Jerry Falwell's Bible better. Oh. And, uh, you know, she meant no harm. I mean, you know, she loved me. Yeah. And not only that, they lived in Virginia, and she knew that Jerry Falwell had been a segregationist, but they did such a good job of presenting their skewed view of Christianity as as the objective gospel, right? That, that she didn't know any better. And I think that's the problem with, with most uh, Christians in America. You look at uh, Islam, you look at Judaism, they have a tradition of study, and they're serious about, about study. Um, we don't have that in Christianity. We You're listen right. to preachers, right? We go to church on Sunday, and then that's it. So we really, what we have is not really Christianity, not biblical Christianity. Uh, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we have Correct. is a Christianity presented as, used as a means to oppress, right, uh, to marginalize and to serve the interests of, uh, of those in control. Yes, and it's, it's a travesty. It's not Christianity, it's churchianity at best. Boom. Yeah, there's there's Christ followers and then there's Jesus Club. And by the time Dr. King died, you know, uh, civil rights was really a third of what he was preaching. It was also anti-militarism in the Vietnam War, which is deeply Jesus-based, and it was pro-labor. He died in a sanitation workers' strike. He was all about working people. He was all about helping the poor. He was all about a biblical version of what Christianity is. And that's why he was always a hero in my home growing up, because Dr. King led with the holy books against the right-wingers that the right-wingers pretend to follow. I call it thumping the Bible thumpers with the Bible. Dr. Mm -hmm. Hendricks, is it true that, that you first met Dr. King when you were just about seven years old? No, yeah. Well, in that article, it's... <laughs> no, I said I, I'm, I met him in the barbershop, essentially yeah. what I was saying. No, I understand, but, yeah. I, with, with Dr. King listening to the... Uh, the men in the barbershop talk about, uh, they pronounced it Martha Luther King. Martha Luther and, King, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, no, I, and I was, you know, I was introduced to, um, uh, you know, to King in, in their discourse. At that time, you know, for a young black guy, you could get a great political education sitting in a barbershop. Everybody was talking about, uh, about the struggle. 
nowadays are talking about sports and rap and rap. Yeah. But you've written movingly about your relationship with Dr. King from the time you were a child to when you became a young man to eventually when you became a scholar. And I'd love it if you would just to share with our listeners a bit about your evolution um, and what you continued to learn from him as you pursued your own deeper learning. Yeah, well, you know, I, I grew up in the, in the black cultural nationalist tradition in, um, in New Jersey. Um, with uh, Amir Baraka's organization. So by the time I got in my, my, my teens, Martin Luther King wasn't a hero to, to, to me uh, anymore. Right. Because, you know, we talked about this is a guy who was telling people uh, that they should just let racists beat him up and all that, and we're not going to allow that. You know, so Malcolm X was our guy. Right. Because he, he was willing to fight back. But as I got... As I got older, I started realizing that King was uh, was not a coward who wanted you know to just let people beat him up. That he was just all he wanted to do was kiss white people and all. I came to realize, you know, his real radicality. And um, uh, I, I taught a course oh about twenty years ago on 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 King's theology, and mm -hmm. it, it was then when I really did a deep dive into when I realized just how radical man Martin Luther King was first uh, such a courageous man such extraordinary courage but also that he was um he was extremely politically you know politically radical he was a democratic socialist um from his you know from his his teens under the uh influence of uh of, of the great uh president of Morehouse um what can I call his name uh, Benjamin Mays yes mm -hmm. it's too much um, and King talked about the difference between reform and revolution. And he talked about this is uh, we're engaged in a class struggle. And, I, you know, I, I, I realized that uh, when King talked about the beloved community, he was really talking about a, a democratic, socialist, political economy that cared for the common good, that was really based on love your neighbor as as yourself. And yes. so for me, it's an extraordinary figure. And uh who's really still not um, fully appreciated. Some of that's from lack of study, but uh, and folks' lack of study of King's writing. But um, so much of it is because of the domestication of King by the powers that be, you know. Uh, all the, yep. he, he, was, he was a dreamer, and all he just wanted his children to play with white children. And they, One and line with, from one speech. One line from one speech. Exactly. But they forget about, you know, the... Uh, he, the, ra the radical pronouncements of that speech when he indicted the, the federal government um, for its lapses in fighting for liberation. They, they don't want it. They don't want that. No, that's right. That's that's how they do but, all leaders who are who are about liberation. Right. And that's the danger. Because Dr. King, like Jesus, was out there talking about how it's not about individual salvation, but it's about the salvation of the community that produced you. It is about being of service to others. And yet we have grown up in this America that has a very selfish version of spirituality. These these Falwells and Pat Robertsons, who once, as you pointed out, were deeply against integration. I mean, Falwell built whites-only schools. Falwell told Americans to support apartheid and buy cougarons back in the 80s when I was a kid. That's what Donald Trump appealed to. That was the kind of Christianity that he actually knew was out there 
and decided he would try to to speak to. And and it worked. You've said that Donald Trump has perhaps debased Christianity in America more than anyone before him. We're, we're in this time, doctor, where now uh, we used to call them fundamentalists. Now we're there. We've gone back to Christian nationalists. Do you think that's a fair term to describe what right wing Christianity in this country has become? Yeah, I think so, because um, for them, being being a nationalist is a litmus test of of your Christian witness, right? They've conflated the the uh, the flag and, and and the cross, and so their primary focus is not Christianity; it's on American nationalism. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a fair term, you know. They they try to uh, portray it as being um, the nationalist uh, dimension of it. As, as reflecting uh, a deep commitment to the gospel. No, no. It reflects a commitment to the flag first and to right. uh, their own privilege. And uh, that's why they don't even talk about love. That's why they don't talk about justice. That's why they don't know the core of the gospels, love your neighbor as yourself. They don't, because they don't give a damn. You know, um, Matthew 25, as you haven't done it for the least of these, you haven't done it for me. Well, they cut that out of their Bible. Um, completely and, and the word justice is, doesn't even exist in their bibles they, they never use that term do they they never use the term they never use the word love no, no. none of that right no they'll say law and order they will not say justice they'll say jesus but they won't say love they won't even say christ and i think there's no evidence where it's more obvious than in their uh, immigration policy i mean dr Hendricks, there's one commandment i can find in the bible Old Testament or New Testament, both Matthew 25 and Leviticus, about immigrants or borders. And it is the commandment to welcome the stranger. To me, it would seem that for anyone who's actually read the Bible, that alone would make supporting the Republican Party a complete deal breaker. It seems that, and again, this is what slavery was all about, this murderous American strain of white Christianity that gets around the inconveniently liberal teachings of Jesus to settle on a Christianity that is whatever we feel like right now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's a good example. You know, immigrants, I mean, throughout the Hebrew Bible, even we, we see in, in some parts of the New Testament that um, one of the, the primary commandments over and over and over again is to, to look out for the gear, the stranger or the immigrant, you know? I mean, even tithing, one of the reasons tithing was uh, commanded was to help support the immigrant until they can could support themselves. Um, but, you know, you would think that the Bible says hate immigrants. Yeah. About these, these, these Christian nationalists. I mean, it's just a great example of, of how they how they distort the Bible and ignore anything in the Bible that doesn't serve, uh, doesn't serve their interests. Amen. So let, let me ask you the obvious question. I bet you've been asked many times considering how the right wing has, has just stolen Christianity for their own sinister, selfish political purposes. Do you get this a lot? Do you have people saying, why is it important for you doctor to continue to identify as a Christian? Uh, I get this all the time. Christianity is getting a very dirty name thanks to these flock fleecing frauds. And I'm curious why you still choose to uh, to um, to follow the faith. I admire it. Well, I'll tell you, brother, um, you know, the teachings of Jesus, I mean, Jesus taught very little about what to believe. Almost all everything he told us how to act. It was all how to treat each other, how to 
excuse me, lived in the world. I mean, he, he was uh, a superb ethical teacher, teacher of, of, of ethics. And, um, you know, his the, the ethical nature of his of his message, I think it's just it's just one that is superb. And if we could follow and forget about the superstructure of all kinds of theologies and doctrines and all that, if we just follow his basic teachings, as he said, he didn't say to worship him, he said to follow him. Um, if if we if we tried to to love our neighbor as ourselves, for instance, that would give us a much better uh, a much better a much better world. In fact, that's a basis for the kind of political economy that would be fair to, to everyone. So that's why I I identify with Jesus' teachings. But let me say a word, please, about a love neighbor as I saw what uh, ourselves and why that's so profound. Because if we try to love our neighbors as ourselves, that means that we want our neighbors to have the same goods, the same rights, the same freedoms, the same security, and all the same good things of life as we want for our own, uh, our own loved ones. But it, it, it implies more than that, because you and I know that we will struggle for our loved ones and our, our, our families and our communities have, have the best uh, the best access to the the what we might call the the fruit of the tree of life, you know, all the good things yeah. in life. We will exactly. know that we will. Then we're called to struggle for the same thing for our neighbors, which means that what what love your neighbor as yourself really means is that we're called to struggle for the common good, and that's so profound. But we yes. we don't get that from 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 them. They first of all they don't quote that, but even if they did, they try to they try to make it personal like everything else, um, and and forget about, you know, having any responsibility to the collectivity. But, you know, to, to summarize, it really is what love your neighbor as yourself says, strive and struggle for the common good to build yes. a just society. And that's what they miss. That's what most of Christianity seems to miss. Exactly. But of course, you know this very well, Doctor. As soon as you talk about the common good, as soon as you talk about loving your neighbor as yourself, you're going to face exactly what MLK faced, exactly what Black Lives Matter faced, the word Marxism. As soon as you talk about the common good, as, as soon as you, I mean, if Jesus himself came back, it'd be hard to hear him over the sounds of all these right-wing Christians calling him a Marxist and a socialist and other words that they don't understand. And I want to talk deeply about, go a little bit deeper about Marxism and democratic socialism after the break. But to me, this is what has always made me so crazy. And it's one of the reasons why your work has, has talked me off of the ledge so much. And I'm curious, it, they are faux Christians. You're right. What I hear often is um, right wing people or atheists will tell me, no, no, that's what real Christianity is, John. You're you're starry eyed. You talking about love and looking out for the poor and caring for the sick and welcoming the stranger. That's not Christianity. That's a character in a book. Real Christianity is this cruelty, this white supremacy, this meanness. You must hear this all the time. Whenever I call them fake Christians, I've always got 20 of my atheist friends telling me, no, bro, they're the real thing. How do you respond to that? Because I think you're one of the voices out there trying to take back the decency and love of Scripture from the hypocrites. Yeah, well, um, how do I respond to, let me get clear on your question. 
summarize it real quick again for okay, me. Okay, well, the qu- sure, the question is, when people say, you know, that's not fake Christianity, that is real Christianity. Real, Christian- real Christianity is exclusion. It is racism. It is homophobia. It is cruelty. Turning away the stranger, there's no room at the inn, because that's what Americans are raised thinking Christianity is. Those are the only Christians who get on TV on a regular basis. Yeah, well, you know, one reason I wrote Christians Against Christianity was to sort of... Um, turn folk to the to the biblical text it's, itself as uh, as the standard that it's supposed to be um, for us. Um, and I, that's part of my mission, if you will. I, I see it as part of my vocation is to is to try to redefine, you know, in the popular mind as much as possible what Christianity is by pointing to the biblical text. I mean, that's pretty basic, right? Um, And so, yeah, and that points to a real, um, again, to a real problem with Christianity. Christians are uninformed. They don't study. And they listen to these doggone preachers so so much. Themselves don't seem to study much. You know, I'll tell you, brother, you can look on Facebook, for instance, or wherever you want to look, and you'll see a zillion preaching conferences and all of this. But they're not teaching conferences. They're not talking about prophetic politics. They're not talking about the spirit of the Lord is upon me because it anointed me to preach good news to the poor, which was Jesus. Luke tells us was Jesus' initial sermon, which is like a manifesto, you know, mm-hmm. liberation. I mean, this was, and you really can look at this, um, the core of the gospel as, as love your Lord, your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus it. said the commandments and then uh, you, you can look at the verse which just slipped my mind <laughs> i'm still struggling with post-covid me too what, what and what was the, the verse i just forgive me brother you gotta help me um i was going as the preacher said i was going somewhere with it anyway the bottom line is we have to go back to the basics of of of, of the bible to redefine the bible in the public mind because it shows that you know we don't have we just don't really teach the way that we should. That's right. I think for, for many, uh, Christianity means they want to put women in jail for abortion, which Jesus never talked about, and they want to believe they're better than you. And that's enough for right-wing Christianity. Dr. Hendricks, if you can stay with us a little longer, uh, after the break, I'd like to talk with you about Marxism and about uh, democratic socialism and a piece you wrote a while back that I bookmarked called The Uncompromising Anti-Capitalism of Martin Luther King. If you can stay with us a little bit longer, we'll be right back after the break. This is Sirius XM. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. This is SiriusXM Progress. I am John Fugelsang. So thrilled to be joined by uh, one of my favorite writers and theologians, Dr. Obery Hendricks, whose most recent book is Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals Are Destroying Our Nation and Faith, one of the best books about America and religion that I have ever read. But a couple of years ago, I became a huge fan of Dr. Hendricks with a piece he had written for Huffington Post called The Uncompromising Anti-Capitalism of Martin Luther King Jr. We'll be hearing a lot of speeches and a lot of people talking about one line from one speech King gave, but very few people or historians on this day will talk about the fact that King was a tremendous opponent of what we call capitalism here in the U.S. And it wasn't something he came to just before he died. It was from his youthful years through his death, and let's not forget he actually ended his life fighting for sanitation workers in Memphis. Uh, Dr. Hendricks, when did Martin Luther King begin to have his issues with capitalism and what was his democratic socialism like? Well, we know that he um, became familiar with and enamored of socialism when he was a teenager. Um, As a college student, he began college at at age of 15 Um, and he had a professor, Walter Shivers, who was a democratic socialist and uh, also, Benjamin Mays, the president of, of Morehouse College, um, right. was also a democratic socialist. And so all this made sense to, to King. And so we see that he wrote in our, uh, a letter to uh, Coretta when he was courting Coretta in his early 20s. Um, uh, and he came around and said, I, I embrace socialism more, you know, more than, than capitalism. So that so began at a very, very early age. That's it. I mean, you said the Bible and democratic socialism preach that governments should enact policies that address the needs of the poor, provide equal access to opportunity, and legislate policies that curb inequity. Both believe that any government that ignores the interests of the poor is an unjust government in need of correction. As King put it, the curse of poverty has no justification in our age. It is socially as cruel and blind as the practice of cannibalism. And as you've pointed out, doctor, in so many biblical passages, leaders are told they should fight for justice. They should fight for equality by focusing on the impoverished. And yet Jesus said it. Dr. Martin Luther King said it. And we have a really hard time hearing anybody outside of a few members of the Democratic Party who will talk this way in public. What have we lost by reducing Martin Luther King Jr. to just being a civil rights hero who had a dream? how are we losing the immediacy of his ministry and, and how does that endanger us? Yeah. Well, yeah, what we're, what we're losing is 
is is quite it's quite important. You know, we're losing the model, for instance, of uh, of selflessly struggling for the common good. I mean, you know, we have a lot of leaders out here, but they become, you know, celebrities and big time leaders and yeah. some of them get rich. You know, King, when we lose King or distort who King was, we lose the vision of, of, of a man who felt personal responsibility uh, for changing the world. Um, and he, like he took it as a personal affront wherever he saw injustice. That's an important, important model. We don't see anyone really following that model. You know, uh, someone who was given all the riches of the Nobel Prize, but he wouldn't keep any of it because right. he was so desperate to struggle that he donated it to his organization. Also, what we what we lose is this, the radicality of really trying to radically change the political economy. You know, where I was... Think I was trying to go earlier had to do with um, the poor people's campaign. Yes, poor people's campaign. If it had, if Martin Luther King had lived and they had pulled it off, it would have been the most momentous um, event in the history of the country. Because King, even though King's popularity had dropped, you know, quite a bit because the the attacks on him and because he. Uh, he he uh, stood against the the war in Vietnam. Still, That's he right. had a lot of name recognition. And if King was able, if he was able to call poor people to Washington uh, from all over the country um, uh, to insist that the government address the uh, the inequality, the racial and the economic inequality. That would have forced corp. That that would have forced corporations. That would have forced government first um, to enact um, policies that were more just and more equitable, um, but also policies that did not have corporate America um, at their heart. And right. so capitalists had to kill him. And, and what I'm getting at, for instance, you look at um, William Barber, who's extraordinary, and yeah. and you know the deep commitment of the Poor People's Campaign is uh, so important. But the difference between Barber's campaign and Key's campaign is that Barber is not trying to, to change the political economy itself to make it more equitable. He's trying to in influence uh, a, a certain kinds of policies having to do with, with poor people. He's, his, his is the reform movement. But King wanted a real revolution. And think about if they had, if they had brought hundreds of thousands of folk to Washington and King said, they were going to engage in uh, in very radical action, like they were exactly. going to um, nonviolent sabotage. They were going mm -hmm. to clamp all of the uh, the major highways into watch into Washington. They're going to close down the buildings. Now imagine the impact that that would have had on policymakers. They would they could not have turned their back on the poor people anymore. They they could not, they have to step back to some extent from their warm embrace of, uh, of, of corporate leaders. And, and, that, and that had happened before, as you know, with the bonus marches, right? You're In right. the 1900s, the bonus marches, these were um, World War II, World War I veterans who were, who have been promised a, uh, a pension um, if they lived into the 1940s. That's right. But when, 
depression came, these veterans said, we need the money now. We don't have any money now. The government wouldn't respond. So um, in May of 1932, 300 veterans went to Washington to protest and to, right. and to start. By July, there were 43,000 of those veterans and their families that had descended on Washington and they raised hell. Now it, it turned out poorly because the government uh, uh, led by Douglas Mac and MacArthur, they uh, went into the into the encampment where these 43,000 That's people right. went in and shot and killed folk and all that. But veterans. still, they shot and killed veterans. But what did come out of it is that when Franklin Roosevelt got in the office, he was like, man, we have to do we have to address this. And that's when the whole focus of government uh, changed from laissez-faire to suddenly realizing they did have a responsibility to help those in need. Before that, before the, the bonus marcher, that had never happened. Well, and that was like 43,000 people. Imagine all those that King could have brought, hundreds of thousands, and the effect that he had. So they had to kill him. But that's yeah. a testimony to his, to his radicality. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I spent like the last three years hearing right wing trolls calling Black Lives Matter Marxist because opposing police brutality and systemic racism makes you not a fan of private property, I guess. I don't understand it. But Dr. King had this as well. His whole life, he was called a Marxist just for preaching what's actually in the gospel that these Philistines pretend to follow. My question, doctor, is and this is the one that gets us in trouble. But is it fair to say that Marxian theory is a hell of a lot closer to gospel teachings of Jesus than our conventional American capitalistic model. Well, I, I'll say that the, the the basic ethos of the Bible is so is a socialist ethos because it's concerned for the common good for the society, right? Um, yeah. Marxism, rightly understood, is really just a uh, 
a, a mode of economic analysis, a, a, a way of looking at how how capitalist political economy works, right? I mean, it's it's uh, and that's and that's all. And those who understand Marxism realize that's what it is. But um, what we've seen the right wing do, just like uh, Hitler and his minions did when when they uh, with the rise of Hitler, they make Marxism akin to, you know, to the child murder. And uh, exactly, exactly. Most of, they put all this negative uh, moral um, and, and, and ethical baggage on it that Marxism has nothing to do with. Marxism uh, doesn't talk about taking away people's homes. Marxism is, isn't about oppressing people. It is about Marx. Marx was a, a utopian. He wanted he dedicated his life to try to find a, polit a form of political economy that would be fair for everybody. Yeah. But, you know, you have all these ignorant, toothless folks talking about, um, I don't want no darn Marxism. <laughs> Marxism was about. Marxism was about trying to find a fairer way uh, for societies and economies to run so that everybody could and biblical terms, eat of the fruit of the tree of life. Yes. I mean, you actually prefer to say Marxist analysis rather than Marxism, right? I mean, words mean a lot, and we know this word has been weaponized against a lot of decent people. Why is it better to say Marxist analysis when we talk about things like what Jesus or Dr. King fought for? Yeah, because Marxist analysis, they, they Marxist analysis and the biblical witness, in my opinion, uh, emanate from the same impulse, and that is to build a just world. Um, Karl Marx was looking to build a more just world. That's, you know, there's nothing more loving than that, even though he was a curmudgeon, uh, curmudgeon himself personally. So Marx is, the problem with Marxism is Joseph uh, Stalin and Mao Zedong and, and, you know, these folk who... Um, yeah, the totalitarianism. Yeah, and 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 so totalitarianism is conflated with Marxism um, and socialism. When um, uh, you know none of these countries really were were, were socialist. I mean, they were um, state capitalism, where the state, you know, the state took the place of of uh, of corporate uh, of corporate capitalists by running everything, right? Yes. But they weren't socialist. They weren't concerned about the common good. And by the way, socialism, Marxism has nothing to do with authoritarianism, right? It's it's about this distribution of freedom and justice and goods and resources. That's what they were about. But you know, uh, this attack on Marxism really goes back to the Bolsheviks, right? When the Bolsheviks took over Russia, and the capitalists in America were scared to death, um, and they started the American Liberty League, you know, the 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 the, the DuPonts and the richest capitalists in America. And they consciously started a PR assault on uh on on any effort to make America more equitable by mm -hmm. uh, by painting Marxism as um as a despicable uh, force. And so I mean that 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 was strategic. And it goes back to the 20s, 1920s. I mean, they've been doing the same thing, making the same charges since then. But Harry Truman sort of put it in, in perspective, didn't he? He said, what is socialism? How, does, how did Truman put it? Do you recall? 
Yeah, he said that's the word that he said. He said that that socialism is the word they have thrown at every progress we've had in this country for the last hundred years, be it social security or, or, you know, uh, women's right to vote. He just said every bit of social progress we've seen has been called socialism. And we witness that to this day. He said socialism is a scare word they have hurled at every advance that people have made in the last 20 years. Socialism is what they you know, all the social security and all of that. So it's so all right. I mean, they, um, um, and, and it's, so that's it. Anything that's going to help the common good, they denounce and call it socialism. Like that's a bad thing. So, I mean, I wish we could drop the term Marxism from a lot of this discussion because it has no, 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 no real meaning. But, um, on the other hand, um, Marxism is important. Sure. So, you know, as, as of a course. form of analysis, well, I don't know. I don't know, brother. Six on one hand, half dozen the other. The problem is that it's been so weaponized and so distorted that sometimes I wish that we could just find another another term for the. I the completely agree. Of- but but one of the points that you make in in uh, Christians Against Christianity is that, you know, yes, a lot of people do believe that capitalism is somehow biblical. But you point out time and again, just as Dr. King did, how capitalism as America has evolved it is exploitative. And whether we're talking about health care for all, which is pure Jesus, pure Dr. King, you'll get called a Marxist, a fair wage, a minimum wage for everybody, decent treatment for workers consistently. This is the American model. This is what King was up against. You try to talk like Jesus and the followers of Jesus will call you a communist. How can we hope to reclaim the radicality you write of Dr. Hendricks. How can people do it? Is it just going to come down to people have to come out in numbers? Because I dream of the day we take the Bible back from the hypocrites in this country, just as I dream of the day we take the flags back from the thugs. Mm, mm, what does embracing mm. a radicality of Dr. King look like in this century? Well, you know, what it really looks like is uh, something that's not radical at all, really, when you think about it. And that is just focusing on the ethical foundation of the biblical witness, right? We know that the um, uh, the most often used term, ethical term in the Bible is justice. We know that it, it, we, we just need to re-embrace it. We need to lift those things up again. You know, the second most used term is sodakar, um, um, uh, translated as righteousness, but it means more expen- and most, much more expensive uh, meaning than that. It means um uh, you know, doing doing right in in society, doing right in and in, in relation to other people, which is really doing justice. Interesting yes. thing; those terms um, are the most often paired in the Bible. You put justice um, and love your neighbor as yourself means uh, egalitarian justice, right? So you put mishpat justice, egalitarian justice, with uh, sort of called do right in society. Um, what do you get? You get social justice. I mean, that's the the basic. We have to lift this up again. We have to, you know, we we have to lift up that the the basis of our faith is social justice. It is being concerned with the common good. And Christians, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, we talked about it. That means um, being willing to struggle so that all of our neighbors can have everything that we want, all the rights that we want for ourselves. We must re-embrace it. We must lift that up again in the, in the public square, and that's what we're not doing. And that's why you have all these idiotic charlatan preachers who are that's defining it. things for so many people. And 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 um, 
and in the black church, because I'm, you know, I'm African-American, in the, in the black church, I'm so disappointed because all we see is talking about preaching and um, preaching craft and all of that. They, they, they don't even, these preachers don't even realize the core of the gospel is love your neighbor as yourself, struggle to change the world. We have to raise the consciousness about that again. That's what, you know, I've dedicated the rest of my life to. Um, it's, it might be, um, you know, some might call it a fool's errand, but we can't. No. And someone has to bring these people uh, back in the, bring Christianity, the core of Christianity, back into focus for them. Because if we don't, in the short term, these evil jokers that, um, <laughs> that the cult leader, uh, the, step, the embodiment of the seven walking, uh, the walking embodiment of seven deadly sins, Donald Trump, they are going to get into office. <laughs> and what are they going to do, man? I mean, these these people, they have made it clear they want to, they want to make all of us bow at the altar of their narrow vision of Christianity, is, which is oppressive, um, it's marginalizing, it's, it's deadly, it has nothing to do with love, has everything to do with their privilege. I know I'm getting carried but it's no, really, I love um, it. it's it's frightening to me. I have a six year old, six year old great granddaughter, and I shudder to think what her life might be like if we don't fight these people and uh, and struggle against them in the public square and win this battle. If Trump gets into office, man, this sick sociopath, lying, immoral, unethical, no core ethical core at all. If he gets into office, this hateful piece of trash. Man, America is democracy is over, and we know it. Correct. He said so. He's yeah. Then I got to ask you one last question. Here's the million dollar one because you're you're exactly right. MLK had to deal with Nixon. He didn't have any idea how bad it could get after Nixon. My God, what we're dealing with with Trump. So, Doctor Hendricks, what's giving you hope at this point, one fifth of the way through this century, with Christian nationalism seemingly calling the shots and plenty of followers of Jesus lining up to kiss the feet of the golden calf? himself what's giving you hope well i i i don't know what's giving me hope i know what's what's pushing me is that we don't have any choice but to keep struggling i um i do hope well i guess what does give me hope is that these young people many of these young people are not falling for the okito you know and they're not growing up because they're not growing up with the same level of of, of prejudice and they're affected by the prejudice of of the right of the of the right wing. That's that's all that gives me uh gives me hope. Now, if we win this election, if if Trump is defeated, I think that that will be that will signal for us that that America is going to continue to going to continue on to struggle to be a democratic, really democratic country. If not, then I don't know. I have any hope to tell you the truth, but I'm not going to stop. Right on. Same here. I have good news for you. Donald Trump's not going to be reelected. Dr. Obrey Hendricks, really an honor of you to make some time for. He's not. Don't worry. He's not. Let's be scared. Let's get people out there to vote. But he's over. Dr. Obrey Hendricks is the author of Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals Are Destroying Our Nation and Our Faith. He nails it. It's an honor to thank you for your service and your ministry on, uh, on Dr. King's Day. Thank you for joining us, sir. Peace. 